I'm Court. This is Kev Zettler. Nice podcast voice, guys. And I'm Jim. This is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. You sounded, both of you sounded so different from how you sounded before I suggested we start the show. I am really impressed. It's the drugs kicking in. <laughs> That's right. The pod, podcasting is my drug of choice. The, the lights are on. Now. Mic on, pants off. Uh, Court, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I, I'm thinking I'm, I may plug a thing that I haven't done yet. And then I have a hard deadline to actually do the thing. Uh, and that that's far enough away that th that sounds plausible. Okay, so in that case, uh, I would like to plug the uh, the album of music I have been writing in my copious COVID free time oh. instead of baking bread or bettering myself or the world around me in any meaningful way. Uh, so, so, so let me just say how good it feels to have this music totally finished and not just be tinkering endlessly with it anymore like I was a month ago. So you've got a deadline now. Yeah. I, I, I've met the deadline now in, in, in everyone else's head. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, if you'd like to hear what, what sounds good in my head and, and see if it sounds good in your head too, I will put a, uh, a link to listen and download it. What, what genre would you say this is? I was worried you were going to ask that. Um, it's it's got some orchestral techno. Uh, it's okay, got a, a game right. soundtrack uh -huh, remix. Uh -huh. It's got it's got uh, some some blistering guitar rock, a okay. chip tune or two, right. some some funky stuff, an eclectic hip hop mix, some covers of folk tunes. You know that 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 general sort of neighborhood. It's a no genre genre dabbler. Yeah, you, you can listen to me learn to play the uh, the Appalachian mountain dulcimer from scratch over the course of two or three years. <laughs> well, that's a very that's a very long track. Beautiful. Uh, and Kev, what album are you going to release in the next month? Uh, not in the next month, but uh, my ska punk band has been working on an album. We're supposed to finish recording at the end of September. We're behind schedule. It's probably going to be coming out next year. Uh, so I guess look forward to that. Nice. I'm there. Yeah. I, I guess I'm working on an album too, come to think of it. <gasps> Uh, what, so this is the uh, the Frog Fractions soundtrack of the decade edition is getting a, an LP release, like a li nice. limited edition kind of a thing where like you place. Are we talking? Wait, we're talking vinyl. Release? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's so it's vinyl, but not everything fits on uh, a, on a two sided LP. So the extra like fifteen minutes or something are, are going on a mini CDR that comes packaged with it, which Excellent. I thought was hilarious. I've recently started collecting vinyl, so I will Me too. definitely be adding the collection. Cool. So I, I, I've been, uh, yes, and I certainly hope that as, as uh, anointed topic lords, we get to cut the queue and, and reserve a limited edition. I don't actually know how this is going to work, but I believe there's, it's not going to be limited in terms of like uh, limited numbers. It's going to be limited to like whoever pre-orders it gets one, but we're not making more after that. I see. I mean, it, it is fundamentally limited in that, you know. Time and space are, are fine. Yes, yes. But it's okay. beautiful that we once existed. I like to think so. I, I have a uh, – since, since we have some, some, some novice vinyl collectors on the, on the call, such as myself, uh, I, I have a microtopic I can bring up here, which is that I recently learned that there are such things as three-sided LPs. Oh, yes. That's... Is, is that news to anybody else? That's new to me. Uh, right. So, how does that work? Yeah, please describe this. Okay, so the the, the one uh, the one example that I heard of, and then immediately had to go uh, order off of uh, uh, off of the online's and and add to my collection is is a Monty Python album, of course, uh, called like I think Free Handkerchief and Neck Scarf or something along those lines. But the way it works is, um, you know, the, the, a an LP is a, a big old spiral cut in the vinyl and uh you can cut two concentric spirals into the vinyl on the same side of the record and then when you put it on you you get one or the other kind of sort of at random depending on where the needle enters enters the track and uh each one is half as long as a normal side would be so it, it seems to go faster but you can put the same side of the same record on and play it twice and get get different sound out and it's pretty weird yeah vinyl lets you do lots of like i don't know about lots but several weird hacks like that like they there's also the thing where uh the end of the record can be instead of ending it can just loop the last circle of audio what? how i don't know but the beatles did it so you're saying you, you could loop one one rotation worth of audio yes nice it's like it's like three seconds or something like that at, at, at 33 rpm so it's it's good for like 
Dadaist or like music concrete stuff. Not not really good for again. Maybe if you had wrote a really short like Hey Jude style chorus, you could just loop that. Uh, but or banging techno track. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Four on the floor. So I'm learning about mastering. I got sent the mastered audio for none of my soundtracks have ever been mastered by a masterer. Oh, it's just yeah. very interesting. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, with my album, our album, um, you know, my bandmates are always like, oh, we got to get this mastered. Who are we going to go to to do the mastering? Oh, oh, we know this local reputable guy. Let's go to him. And I have no idea what mastering is. Uh, yeah. I, I understand what... I understand what mixing is, where you take all the different tracks, or tracks, you blend them together, uh, you know, you layer like the tracks. But yeah, so what is your mental model of mastering, Jim? Because that will probably help me understand it. Better. I I think the purpose of mastering is to a make it as loud as possible, uh, b to make all the everything on the album kind of fit in the same like sonic oeuvre. Okay. Uh, so this is like a, an EQing job. So this is this is done with like EQing and compressors. So it's like just the the last steps of mixing, but more so. That's my understanding. Yeah, that was kind of my mental model as well. Like balancing out the volume and adding compression so that it sounds like good. On right. Strictly speaking, music doesn't need to be mastered for a digital digital release, but Music does need to be mastered for a LP release because the, it has limited like physical characteristics. Like you can't have too much bass on the record, or the needle will pop out. <laughs> the physical medium giveth, and the physical medium taketh away. Yes, and so it's actually like I got sent this digital master, just a long wave file with every track on it, and I sent back my feedback, but. In a sense, this is kind of an empty exercise because I'm listening to it digitally and I just kind of have to trust that the – like I think we're going to do a, te- a test pressing and I don't know what that entails. Like if that's like just one copy is being made and someone decides whether it sounds good. So I don't know if you were planning on doing a, a vinyl thing. How could you not though? I don't think we will do a vinyl thing. How could you not? Okay. <laughs> we've looked at it in the past but i think the cost the cost doesn't make sense is it even music uh, at that point that's uh that's a fair fair point why don't you come back and tell us how how the economics of this all work yeah 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 well it's it's definitely like it's a successful game soundtrack is one of the best selling album like is going to be like one of the best selling genres of album in modern times Yep, that's true. Which is weird to think about. And I don't think this is going to be super successful, but I bet it's going to sell a couple thousand, which is probably pretty damn good. Yeah, because vinyl isn't cheap. Yeah. Jim, do you know which vinyl like uh, factory or producer you're going with? Are they going to be in the U.S.? Or is this like uh, – because last time I looked, it was like you could go to China, a country. And uh, that, seemed, that seemed to be the, the hub. For that not country. off the top of my head. I'm in the Discord of I, – I don't think I'm allowed to say the the label that's doing it, but yeah. it's a guy who – it's a hobby label. It's just a guy who does game soundtracks for fun. But the actual record producing plant, factory, whatever you want to call it, he talked to me about it and I forgot what it was. I'm scrolling up in the Discord now to see if I can find the place that he said what it would be, but I don't see it. I'm seeing a lot of like, you, here's some novelty, you know, vinyl colors and like blobby color patterns we could have. Like people apparently just don't, don't just make black records anymore. No, I mean, because it, because it's, it's not about like you want the music and this is the way to get the music. Like if you're buying the vinyl, you're, you're 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 buying i don't, I don't want to say heirloom but you know you're you're buying a thing and, and yeah i mean heirloom is not a bad like especially compared to a digital music collection this is music you can leave to your grandchildren mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is we're not even at the topics yet yeah right <laughs> we've gone deep into vinyl here i've got two lps one of them is the uh the lp of the most wanted and the most unwanted music 
this is for your game or do you mean in, in your personal collection? This is in my personal collection. And the other is the uh, Toe Jam and Earl soundtrack, which I was given oh, when cool. I was working in the, the um, Human Nature Studios offices on a different project. I have a copy of the Hotline Miami soundtrack. Oh, there you go. God, God for being a early back. A great or candidate for a music that's going to pop the needle out of your groove. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So, what is the the wanted and unwanted? Is that like the most objectively wanted music and the most objective? Okay, I'll, I'll describe this briefly. Even though I'm pretty sure this has actually been a topic before, but like it, it's too good. I got it. I'm going to talk about it again. Uh, in the late '90s, there was a, a couple of artists that did. This is an art project, and they did this. They, they did this project where they polled a bunch of people about what music tropes they like and like most and least. And then they went to a, a music producer to create two songs, one based on the most desired tropes in late 90s music listenership, and one based on the least desired tropes in late 90s music listenership. I need to hear this. This sounds amazing. They're they're totally available. You can just go to YouTube right now uh, and listen to both. I, I won't go to YouTube right now. But yes, but you, but you could. Next. I could. I love the future. Yeah, put that put that in the show notes. I need to check that. The out. the most wanted music is just super generic mid nineties R and B, um, and the most unwanted music is this most glorious like twenty minute active art terrorism that you can imagine. <laughs> it's really good. Okay, Court, your topic is before age four, you don't really make long term memories, but you can develop long term habits. How best to exploit this? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how common this is in general. Uh, I think it's pretty common, but I, I have maybe one or two memories of my first four or five years mm -hmm. and even calling them memories is pretty generous. Like that they're more like impressionist paintings of memories. Uh, but like, but, but from around five and on, yeah, like I remember specific days and places and people and some teachers and whatnot. And, and, and it, it's not like you're, you're just hard rebooted at age five and you get to rewrite everything from a blank slate. Um, like if, if you had a friend from a young age and you stay in touch, then of course you were always friends, right? Uh, even if you don't remember why. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's things like phobias or preferences or favorite foods or adorable colloquialisms uh, that, that, that can take root during those early years and, and just stick with you forever, whether you whether you know why or not. Um, and and I'm just wondering, how can we use that as, 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 a, as a parent myself? Before we get to, before we get to the, um, the horrible part, I, it's... <laughs> this is super interesting to me. Like apparently it, so my son is about four and he remembers yeah. his life. He remembers events going back years, but he just, he's just going to forget. Like everybody does. Every, it's the weirdest thing. Like the way your memories form, as far as I know, like what's happening is the way your memories form changes. Like it's stored in a different format and you eventually lose the way to access your old memories and they just go away. Yeah, that that is exactly the the analogy I've heard. It's like it's like uh, because so much of your early life involves just completely recontextualizing your entire worldview. Like, oh, those those colored shapes are other people, and, yeah. and like, oh, objects exist when I can't see them. It, it, it's like the old memories are there and they're intact, but it's like they're written in some foreign language you don't know how to speak anymore, and and your mental software for interpreting them just doesn't know what to make of this old old crap, which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it, it is fascinating. There's a lot of neuroscience here that I'm not qualified to comment <laughs> on, like the differences between conscious and subconscious systems. Uh, and, you know, it seems like maybe those childhood memories are migrated to the unconscious level or something. Yeah, I, it it is. It is. Odd. You, you, you keep your skills so like some things stay, although like it may be that you need to be practicing your skills during the period of time you're losing your old memories or you just or they just go away entirely like your lang if you don't speak a language for from age 4 to age 6 maybe you lose it yeah um in terms of how to exploit it i'm reminded of friends of mine had a they had like some extreme medical debt what's the word on their credit record apparently the way your credit score works is that if a particular item is not updated in a in like a while, like something like seven years, it just drops off the log, and so they deliberately did not pay down any of this medical debt for seven years, and then it just kind of went off of their credit record. Okay, and that's how they were able to buy a house. Uh, 
<laughs> bold strategy. Bold strategy. I like it. I think that's the pattern. That's like the template we can work from. Like So like like seven years, if you don't use something at all, it's basically gone. Right. So you need to borrow money from your kid, like from your three-year-old. <laughs> so I, I think the best way to exploit it in the childhood phase is uh, really to build up like physical habits, uh, like exercise, uh, novel motion, gymnastics, ballet, skateboarding. Uh, all of that will be reinforced. Those habits will be reinforced and most likely, uh, those will be remembered into adulthood. Uh, the, the nervous system in its like primitive form in its early stages of development, it, you know, it developed to, uh, do, uh, motor con- control and muscle control. Uh, and I read this book, it's called like Spark, the Revolution of Exercise, or it's got some weird subtitle, but, uh, it basically has this um, concept uh, on like, you know, exercise connected to mental health. And it gives this, it gives this great kind of anecdote story about uh, like uh, mollusks or mussels and how when they are in the larval stage, they have a nervous system. They have neurons and then they swim and then they, uh, you know, they attach to a rock. And they become sedentary and they, they live on this rock. And then they eventually digest their uh, primitive nervous system they have because they have no need for further uh, movement or motor control. Huh. So uh, I think you can, yeah, for children, they'll, they'll still maintain that, those memories, those movements that they learn, those will become uh, basically unconscious. Uh, you know, burned into their system or whatever. That is a fascinating life cycle that you just described. Uh, apparently, there there are uh, PlayStation One games that work that way. If my old boss is to be believed, where they 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 are so tight on memory that the last thing that their initialization routine does is allocate an array of data at the beginning of the initialization routine that it was just never going to call again, <laughs> and then fills that up with like the last bit of data that it needs to compute and store. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, like did that eating your own childhood. <laughs> <laughs> to launch you into adulthood is oh that's fascinating um the only data point i have is 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 something that my my grad school advisor mentioned uh when, when he was he was uh dying of pancreatic cancer at the time haha <laughs> you know lighthearted stuff uh and, and he was he was leaving behind a very few young kids and and he wanted to spend his remaining time uh doing things that they were sure to remember uh when they were older and past this this critical threshold and, and what he latched onto was that uh childhood memories have a higher chance of sticking if they involve animals so for him, it was like nonstop swimming with dolphins and hanging out with the mascot characters at theme parks and sports games and that sort of thing. I don't know if that holds up or not. That's a really cool hack. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of, of like, uh, like a taxi driver telling me about how he was went to pick up a couple on the Golden Gate Bridge where one had just proposed to the other and the other one had said no. And... <laughs> They were drive like driving back off of the bridge, like kind of just not talking to each other in the back of the cab. Um, and I think what happened there was that like their relationship was kind of already on. This is my this is my head cannon. I have no idea. Their my their relationship was on the rocks, and the proposer was trying to use a life hack where you feel like more closer to your partner or like more heightened emotions. When you are in like a life-threatening situation, such as being really high up. So he was hoping that by putting them in mortal danger, I th- she would feel <laughs> I th- more I th- attached th- to him. That's that's my that's my headcanon. I love it. I love it. So certainly, like deep-seated fears are something else you can clearly develop at, at a young age. And I wonder if just like scaring the bejesus out of your kid. and While then, like, you're swimming with dolphins. While you're swimming with dolphins and telling them to brush their teeth twice a day. Yeah. If that's the way to just like... <laughs> Save on dental bills for the rest of their, li- their lives. Yeah. I- I've read some stuff uh, to that point that, like, fear or adrenaline, adrenaline spikes uh, reinforce memory. Uh, I've seen some, yeah. like, studies on that. Yeah, yeah. Time time appears to slow down subjectively. Like, which is, as far as I can tell, is just, like, increased resolution of your memory at that point. Like, it's not – if you, like, look at your watch during an adrenaline moment – like you go bungee jumping and you look at your watch, you're not going to see the, t- the second hand move slower, uh, but you will like uh, have a more detailed memory of that moment because it's being stored at a higher resolution. 
it's, it's proof that the universe is running on severely underclocked hardware. And when there's too many bullets on screen, that's right. You can't handle it. It slows down. Let's do a new topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kev, your topic is extreme kids in trench coat trope scenarios. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell this as uh, well as I did earlier, but uh, this topic came to mind. I was reading a comic book and the premise of the comic book was it takes place in a universe where children in trench coats are indistinguishable from regular adults. And this becomes such a problem that uh, a society of children in trench coats forms uh, that's separate from the adult society. And then uh, a conflict, some contention arises between the adult society and the children in trench coat society. And the story follows a detective who has to go undercover and a, a regular adult detective who has to go undercover into the children in trench coat society. And he does this through an act of surgery, which uh, splits him into two being the trench coat. Uh, and so uh, this is I thought, what this is we? actually very relevant <laughs> to the next topic. <laughs> I saw that on the, the list as well. Um, so so by, by children in trench coats, we're talking like. Two kids standing on each other's shoulders wearing a trench coat, not correct, like just correct. general trench coat mafia hoodlums. Yeah, the classic uh, trope from cartoons or whatever. And just reading that comic, I was like, well, this may be the most extreme version of this possible, right? Yeah, what's the name of this comic? Yeah, so that's a whole nother topic. The, the comic <laughs> is called the, the, the comic is called The Necrophilic Landscape. And it is by an artist called Tracy Auk, and that is one of four or five fake names this artist uses, pseudonames. Uh, she was also known as Morgan Vogel uh, and Caroline Bren, a couple of other names. Uh, and she was, she was known for basically destroying all of her work and then changing her name. And uh, so she has some very this is a whole uh, crazy, like, edgelord uh, kind of influence stuff like this. So it's cool to kind of shout that out as well. Yeah, that, that sounds fascinating. All right. So, so, so back to trench coats. So, so in, in, in this world, are, are you like a top or a bottom when you're a kid? Like, do, do they trade? Is, is that just you know, how you yeah, get up in the morning? I, that's, a good, that's a good point. I believe there are uh, trench coat roles to play here. Somebody always has to be the butt. <laughs> but like, do you get pigeonholed as the butt? If you're a really good butt, is that just your life now? Like you're you're walking around. You're just desirable. A really good butt is is widely is wild, widely sought after. Yeah, you you know you have to have that like strength to be the the butt of the trench coat to carry the other individual. You build up that over time. I, I just like have have you tell us the entire plot of the comic series at this point? But I have I have so many questions. Like, like, okay, so the, the adult who gets surgically separated, like, how, how does that work? Does his brain, brain get split into two smaller beings? I don't want to get into the comic okay. too much. It's, it's really great. I recommend everybody. Okay. So maybe. <laughs> so I, I remember uh, reading, and I don't remember the context for this, but I'll make one up. I remember reading a thought experiment where someone is proposing a alternate reality where people are almost always born as twins. Um, and the twins go through life as a pair. Like they're considered to be a, like a single being, culturally speaking. They are, they get married together. They get jobs together. Uh, and when one of them dies, the other one is like considered, or like when someone is born without a twin, the other is considered to be like broken and needs to be taken care of by society. Like not a full person. And I think, uh, or this might just be the thing I'm making up that this is meant to be a metaphor for the two hemispheres of the brain, which in experiments have been shown to basically be two different people that share information or share experiences between the, between the hemispheres. Like if you look at um, split, the split brain experiments, which were done on like a, the, the splitting the two hemispheres of the brain is done as a treatment for seizures. Like if you have really extreme seizures if if your brain is split in half, the seizure is only going to affect – it's going to start on one side of the brain and not spread to the other because it can't. The people with these split hemispheres behave like – under normal circumstances, just behave like a regular person. So like – but they have like 
each each brain gets an eye. One of the brains gets, I believe, the auditory and speech system, and like I, th- I think each brain gets an arm and a leg. I think is what it is, or maybe one. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, there's some sort of meaningful separation of abilities and in and like access to the sensory organs uh, that they were able to. Let's give instructions to one, just one brain. Uh, then the brain carries that those instructions out. Like go take, look, go walk across the room, and then like there was given in the form of written instructions to just one of the eyes, and then they will ask the other brain, which has access to the auditory information, why did you just walk across the room? And it will make some shit up. It'll say like I just wanted to stretch my legs, because each brain wants to feel like it is part of a sensible, rational system. And I think this applies even to a full, like, in- intact brain. I think even uh, a regular, normal, healthy brain still operates this way, where you just, you just do shit because some impulse in your brain, like, fired louder than the others and won out, like, I'm, okay, this one wins. And then afterwards, if there's, if someone, if you, if you think to yourself, like, why did I do that? Or if someone asks you, then some other part of your brain decides, like, what was it? What's a good reason that I might have done that? I really think that's how it works. So it's like we, we are, in fact, multiple personalities, but we can only observe ourselves as, as a group and we only see the collective actions of the group. So we assume that's an individual. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, this makes a really good segue to it, it, it's a perfect segue. <laughs> sh- shall we, yeah. shall we just, <laughs> yeah, let's keep it rolling. Yeah, let's right. go My uh, topic is Krista and Tatiana Hogan are conjoined at the brain. They share thoughts, senses, and control of their bodies. So they are um, conjoined twins who share not, not, they don't have a single brain, but they have kind of two brains, like lobes of a brain. Um, So they have more, more of a brain than a normal, when one person has, but like it's a lot of it is shared. Um, And of course they also share a circulatory system. So like, all the um, chemical processes that go into what you feel uh, are shared by them, by the two of them as well. And so like, as they, they, they haven't, as far as I know, they haven't done scientific tests on them, like after infancy, because they're just, they're people trying to live their lives. Uh, but as infants, they want, like, if, if you tickled one of them, the other would, re- other would react and things like that. This is fascinating. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine myself and what that would be like connected to my brother, and uh, it's not—it's <laughs> not a fun mental exercise. Um, <laughs> well, so, but you would have had a lifetime to to get accustomed to it. That's true. You would be born into it. There'd be—you wouldn't know any different in that case. So I there guess there would that- be some le- level of comfort. Uh, and familiarity. Yeah, that must be the hard part. Like we, we all want to like, what is this like? And they're probably like, it's normal. Yeah, it's just it feels this is like just, living. This is just life. They have like this is what one of the things I was thinking about was like you you can ask them what their experience is. They're they're like fifteen years old now. I think I don't know if anybody has uh, again because they're like teenagers trying to live a life. I don't know how they feel about like reporters or scientists interviewing them about. They could ask them if they want to be on the show. They could be both guests, but you could, you could ask them what their experience is, but they are uniquely unsuited to give relevant answers to other people because they don't, they have no idea what the interiority of other people right. is like. Uh, they, yeah, they don't feel as separate entity. Well, I don't know what they feel like, but maybe they feel like a singular. They have, yeah, know what we're experiencing comparatively. Yeah. 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 No, this is a, it's kind of a, a weird, like liminal, situation between one and two people like it's they're clearly a single organism in most like in most meaningful respect like as a lump of biology they are one lump of biology inseparable oh okay so they're conjoined at the brain yes i was wondering about the anatomy if they had separate brains and a shared like spinal i'm 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 looking at i'm looking at some pictures now it looks like they're kind of joined at the side of the head it looks like i see yeah i was wondering how the shared thoughts work but if they're conjoined at the brain it's like a singular brain yeah Uh, and i guess my my first question is like do do they ever do do they disagree with each other ever yeah would they argue with each other great fascinating and do they need to talk to argue with each other because that that's another um 
So you, you think about conceptions of telepathy, like the most boring form of telepathy is just like, it's just like a walkie talkie. You're, you're, it's like you're using a walkie talkie, but you're just doing it inside your head. And the other person hears the, hears your voice in their head. A much more interesting conception of telepathy is you actually are sharing experiences and sharing thoughts. Yeah. I have to imagine their experience is more like the latter. So they wouldn't need to disagree, I guess. They're, oh, that's so Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. I, mean, I, I have so many questions, but I feel like I'd just be asking you to go read your Wikipedia article to me. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. You're welcome. Oh, and I, 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 I see they they dress differently, so that uh, on, on the surface that feels like the individuality, but maybe it's just like, oh, I'm I'm wearing pants and a shirt that 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 coordinate. It could be that they they want to dress the same, but they feel pressured by society to to differentiate themselves from each other. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how. I wonder what their internal like representation of self is, right? Yeah. Ex- externally, people probably address them as separate individuals, Christia and Tatiana, but maybe internally, yeah, they only have the notion of one self, one being. Because they have they have two faces, and that's right. how we tell what makes two people. Uh, but but internally, so it's like, like I was trying to describe the brain situation they don't have just one they they kind of have like two brains but with a significant amount of shared matter between them and so like intuitively that w- i would say that's basically one mind right uh especially taking on the the analogy of like i according to the split brain experiments i've got two minds in my head right now that are operating as one i feel like a single person they, it could be also that that's how they feel, except that like there's a lot of like cultural baggage teaching me how I'm supposed to feel about myself as a person, and they would be getting the opposite the opposite baggage. They would be getting like yeah. from birth treated like two people, and so maybe that's how they conceive of themselves because that's how they think they should. So in in nearly every photo I see here, and that's you know selection bias in action but they're they're they are they're, their expressions are roughly similar they're roughly doing the same thing they're both drinking a drink they're both smiling they're both kind of befuddled <laughs> I, I wonder if that's just what they were asked to do because oh it's a photo you're weird twins haha or 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 if oh, yeah, like, how, how, yeah. much, how much are they in sync like that i don't know so many questions so many questions are you looking at the at home with conjoined twins tatiana and krista hogan on the windsor star uh, I'm just looking at, at the Google image results in general. Oh, sure. I, I wonder if they could uh, could sing and harmonize with. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. So I, if even if I had two vocal cords, I bet I couldn't sing and harmonize with myself. <laughs> uh, but if I had 15 years to practice, I probably could. All the time in the world. Yeah. I, I, I wonder how their how their coordination between their between their limbs are what would be a good example superhuman coordination between limbs <laughs> yeah you know it occurs to me that uh the, the the poem for this week is also kind of a segue from here all right because it's it's also kind of about the, the union of four people yeah yeah it's it's like the the puzzle in uh in day of the tentacle where the three main characters get joined into a single monster yeah. Uh, all right. Let's just do it. Let's. That's. That's. This is. This is segue week where everything has a smooth segue. All right. All right. So this. This is a poem called "Autopsy" by Ross Sutherland. Uh, it is a, a cut-up poem in the style of uh, Mr. William S. Burroughs, which strings together excerpts from the obituaries published in November of two thousand and four for uh, four famous men who all died within a few weeks of each other. They are uh, Liverpool football player uh, Emlyn Hughes, the, the DJ John Peel, Yasser Arafat, and the rapper known as Old Dirty Bastard. ODB. Balding, paunchy, and badly dressed, he had the air of a Philadelphia McDonald's parking lot, wearing a cheeky grin and a pistol born for so long on his hip that rap music evolved around him. He could claim to have broken the fall and the White House lawn. His first marriage to a 15-year-old Texan girl was dissolved into 20 vials of crack, like a plane crash, pre-recorded and broadcast every night for the last 10 years. He was later arrested for failure to pay child support and announced that he enjoyed vigorously grandparenting with a face of terror. 
His nasal pronunciation and short vowel sounds were powerfully derailed by persistent violence. Determined to restore Palestine to the roadmap, he became a DJ in Dallas and played songs that sounded like people fighting, a style that earned him the nickname Crazy Horse. But despite the hallucinogenic overtones, he refrained from indulging in corruption, misrule, and human rights abuses, as he led his wolves directly into the hearts of suspicious teenage listeners. He signed interim peace accords with Israeli leaders Yitzhak Rabin and Shimon Peres, appearing together on a Mariah Carey remix. Clearly not on the payroll of any record company, his words carried weight. With the onslaught of Beatlemania, he was shot in the back and arm by Liverpool boss Bill Shankly, but the wounds were superficial. Living at his mother's home under house arrest, he was somehow endearingly, enduringly adolescent and old before his time. A modern-day television quiz show Phoenix, who installed a one-party system, but could play three different positions. A spirit of the all-conquering Liverpool side, with boundless reserves of drive, enthusiasm, and battling qualities who vowed to play the Sex Pistols anarchy in the UK until his country was united. Death is an eclectic program, anchored off the North Sea, frightening in its intensity, not afraid to put an arm around a princess, survived only by its statelessness, rife with cronyism, run so single-handedly that even after 40 attempts on his life, his autobiography remained incomplete. An occupied territory full of after-dinner speakers and the impenetrable free-form rhymes of a heart attack in October, a four-man underground cell on an endlessly airborne routine. Is that, is that the end? That is the end. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I love a cut-up. It, it, it's, it's up there with a Markov chain way of uh, just generating weird text from, an, from a corpus. One of my favorite types of cut-up is um, in tracker music. So the, the tracker format allows you to like the, the strictly speaking like it's supposed to be like you're supposed to write the instrument names into um you get attached to each each sample but in practice what people usually do it because it's displayed like as a a block when you're playing the song what people usually do is they write like song title and the composer information and like like how the, the greets yeah, the greets yep greets are important and like how they came to write the song, like whatever notes you might put in like liner notes of an album, people put that information in the instrument channels instead. Uh, and then what you can do is uh, if you want to write a song, you can load samples out of other modules uh, and along with them comes the uh, the instrument name, which is just a single line from this other text, this other whatever you want to call it, the text which could just be like, Three people's demo scene names. Uh, you are so right. What you get when you do this with like, okay, I've, I've got all the instruments. I need to write my song now. And then you go look at the the sample text and you see like, here's the poem I've constructed. <laughs> I, I, you, you, are, you are exactly right. I, and I realize I've done this. <laughs> is there any is there any of that on your upcoming album? No, there's not. No, there, there's, there's no track. Oh, no, no cut ups. No cut ups. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there. Yeah, no. Short answer is no. But, you know, I, I have a whole month to add one now. That's right. So, yeah. No, no promises. I, I like the idea that this is, this is an obituary, but it's sort of like a, a super obituary that like none of these people could live up to the person described in this, in this amalgamation. What, yeah. What an incredible life. And, and it reminds me of something my, my, my wife was telling me last night. And I, maybe I'll get it wrong because I was not listening as close as I could have. But I think it was about the, the, founder of the Nobel Prize, who was also the inventor of dynamite. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound true? Yes. I've, I've heard that before, yeah. The, 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 the story she was telling is I've that like that. The, the inventor of dynamite, th there was some sort of incident where he was presumed dead, but wasn't, <laughs> and he got to read his own obituary and go like, oh my god, I'm going to be remembered as the person who developed this awful you know, explosive force that, that is so deadly, and I, that that's not what I want with my life, and now I have a chance to, to, to sort of have a second draft at my own obituary and, and, and decide what I want to be remembered as. And so I feel like if, if, if these guys got to read this, that's powerful. Be like, yeah, he, he got a chance to change his legacy or uh, take more ownership and design over his legacy. That's kind of interesting. This, this is like uh, when game developers, game development studios will pay reviewers to do a review of their game. That's not released yet. That that is true, and and do you want to hear the dark side of that? Maybe you already know the dark side. I of that. do want to hear the dark side of that. The dark side of that is um, 
I, I think due, due to the cryptic rules of Metacritic, um, once you have reviewed a game, you can't like you can't review it again. So I think so, somehow what the game is is like you you get your biggest critic to write your pre-release review, and then when the final game comes out, you you could throw throw that review away, and 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 they can't write a new one. So so I I, I gather there there is some gaming of the. Uh, of 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 the aggregation system that's to, brilliant. to somehow that's a really yeah, isn't it? that's a isn't really it? good idea a- a- any 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 system of incentives life will find a way yeah i thought you were going to talk about how like these reviewers are paid way better than they're paid by like the like the 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 sites that publish game reviews now probably probably but 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 the, yeah the awesome power of of writing a review and knowing that your feedback will actually be uh, be considered yeah, or possibly to just throw it in the trash because they just don't want your your you, you dragging their score down. Yeah, are we ready for Next another topic? Uh, yeah, I'm let's do it. Just gonna just gonna bring that up myself. Uh, Kev, your topic is neighbors overplaying the same playlist. <laughs> so this is a phenomenon I've had happen a couple of times in my life. Now living in different apartments, having a neighbor next door or whatever it has. A playlist that they play on repeat on some kind of interval. Uh, for example, I lived in San Diego for a while in this like uh, apartment, and uh, the next door neighbor was this elderly dude who listened to like Rod Stewart's greatest hits on repeat, like multiple times per day, uh, like an egregious level. <laughs> uh, most most recently, I'm at a place where uh, my upstairs neighbor has a playlist they put on at least once a week and i've started to like memorize it and it has like you know gnarls barkley crazy on just like a weird mix of that and other 70s rock and stuff and it's just like has has anybody else experienced this like i feel like this is like npc behavior you know? like <laughs> uh, and i'm very audio sensitive being a musician and everything so i'll hear this through the walls and just be like oh my god you're playing this again, and I just wonder does does anybody else? I, I know myself personally. Sometimes I have playlists that I will overplay kind of egregiously, but I, I tend to move on. Uh, compared to these examples I'm listing, I don't dwell on music as long as uh, that's that's my, that's my experience. I don't know if that resonates with anyone else. So let's start out and 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 make sure we're all aligned that this is an aggressive act of war, right? <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Like worthy of retaliation. Okay, all right, all right. So this is, if, if we're agreed on that front, I think the question now is like, what what do you play in response to the neighbor who is playing the same thing over <laughs> and over? Again? I de- I definitely don't take uh, a reaction like that. I'm not going to okay. blast anything <laughs> in response. Um, that, that's a shame. I feel like Jim has given us the perfect answer, though. Like, you, you just put the unwanted music on repeat. Oh, uh, yeah, there we go. Right up That's against perfect. the wall. Tie it all together. Or maybe, like, put together the exact same playlist as them and play it at, like, one and a half speed. Ugh, you know, slightly up, just, yeah. just chipmunk style. Just see if you can ruin their own favorite music for them. I don't know. Maybe I'm a mean person. That's what I'm learning here. Plenty, plenty of outsider music. You could put on like the shods or whatever all that outsider stuff is. Blast that or the shags. Yep, I'm not familiar with either of these things. <laughs> the shags is a topic. It'll come up someday. <laughs> uh, my, so my experience with this sort of thing is things like back in the day when MP3s weren't a thing yet. Like we just had a few albums in the office. Like, you know, 10 CDs. Yeah, the the three albums that people- And they would just get played over and over again, and you'd get so sick of the same music. That's a good point. Maybe that's what's going on. uh, The Rod Stewart incident definitely could have been a CD. Uh, It was during the the recent stuff, though. We're in the digital era. I don't understand. But yeah, I I agree. During the CD era, I definitely had a small set of CDs I would play like that. Yeah. To, to 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 tie back some earlier threads, I feel like that that sort of forced repetition is something that you get from vinyl or a cassette tape where like if you want to listen to an album, you're listening to the whole damn thing. You're not skipping to your favorite parts or your favorite songs very easily. And and that can lead to a a sense of pleasant familiarity with the material 
that you wouldn't get otherwise like the, that, the, that's the, a good the, point that is the one kind of property of vinyl i do enjoy is the uh like the concept of albums with the vinyl you have to you have to put it on and you're committed to listening the whole thing right you're not skipping tracks uh there's no like like tuning through the album you know skipping through the tracks to find like a song that's good you put it on you're generally committed to it and the quality of the album you know it takes that into consideration. You have to build a good album that's like a good playthrough start to finish. Right. If you're lucky, you get to build it yourself. Um, I guess and now that I think about it, like when when my family lived in, in uh, New Zealand for a year when I was young and we were, we were tooling around in, in our van over the South Island and the only two cassettes we had in the car were Madonna's Immaculate Collection and the Pretty Woman soundtrack. And that's what we listened to for like three weeks straight. And, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to say I, I hate those two albums. I probably, they, they, they're, they're a soft spot now, like start to finish, uh, just, just from sheer force of repetition. And I do, and I do love OG Madonna. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. I love, uh, some OG retro wave. Madonna. No, nothing, nothing guilty about it. That stuff is killer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, 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 I guess my conclusion is lean into it. Like take it as an opportunity to, uh. Be forced. No, no, that sounds awful when I say it. No, I'm to, to be forced to listen to something and and learn learn to love it, whether you uh, whether you, whether you enjoy it or now, not. Now I'm like looking at what is on the Pretty Woman soundtrack. Aside from, I assume Pretty oh, Woman is Pretty the, Woman is on there. Um, let's see. Uh, it must have been Love, but it's over now. Is Iggy Pop a Wild One on there? Wild One is on there. Yep, yeah. for sure. Uh, oh, Rock Sets. It must have been Love. That's good. That's yeah, a good one. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I know that, that that was another high point. I remember looking forward to that one. Uh, there, there's some weird ones for sure. I was like, that, 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 that there was some filler. That's even after three weeks, it was not growing on me. I was like, okay, there, here's the song I have to listen to to get to get to the the, the good stuff. Yeah. Um. You know, the, the, where my mind is, is going with this in a in a, in a weird way is, um, there was a a podcast for a while. I'm not sure if it started writing called "The Worst Idea of All Time." Does that ring a bell for anyone? It definitely rings a bell. All right. So it, it, it's these two guys from New Zealand, uh, coincidentally, who like made a pact to watch. I think the first one was, um, I, I you know, I, I, I'm not going to guess. I can't remember. I, I listed, the, the second season was they watched um, Sex in the City 2 every week for an entire year. <laughs> and and the rules were like they had to actually watch the movie. Like they couldn't just have it on in the background. They had to actually engage and focus with the movie like once a week for an entire year. And and they hated it, and 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 listening to them, and, and then they talk about it for for the for, for you know for half an hour afterwards and record it, and that was the podcast. And they hated it up first, but they 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 just found a way. They 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 found something to get them through the experience every week, and 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 it towards the end they 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 grew to love it, and it it, it had become it had become a whole new thing after just that 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 endless repetition. So I I think there's there's something there. Like it, you can come out the other side of oh god I'm so sick of this into. Some sort of trance state where where you're finding little things to appreciate in it. That's that's beautiful. That's something we should all <laughs> strive for. This is like how um, before we had memes, we had T-shirts with jokes on them, <laughs> and instead of just retweeting the meme, you would buy the shirt and wear yeah. it like every week. <laughs> you had you had to commit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The joke on your shirt, it's funny once, just like every joke. Uh, but you wear it every, like probably once a week, or I don't know how big your t-shirt collection is. You wear it regularly uh, because you have committed to the bit. You you learn to love every little aspect of the joke. What uh, what was your favorite joke t-shirt? I'm trying to think of like joke t-shirts that I have owned, and I can only think of one, uh, which was... I am Jack's neocortex. Without me, Jack would be unable to sustain the illusion of free will. Very nice. Right on. Uh, right on. That's a Fight Fight Club reference. Uh-huh. And and a, a cognitive science reference. Very cool. I feel that one feels like it has some mileage there, yeah. you know. Bit of yeah. bit of the neuroscience, timeless Fight Club movie reference. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that that's not like a, a a quip that's funny once and then tiresome. It, it's a that. conversation starter. The conversation is usually, "What does your shirt mean?" But that's okay. Yeah, you know, you gotta go. You gotta start somewhere. Yeah, I think a lot of my shirts fall into that category. They're they're the Space Cam logo or the oh uh, sure yeah 
the um, that that one that one puzzle from the witness on the sunken ship. And like, if you if you know what it is, we're already like best friends. <laughs> and if you don't, you know, I'm happy to explain it to you, but you probably don't care. I don't think I got to that one. Then we can't be friends. Jim. Was there was there <laughs> swimming in the witness? I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't sunken. I'm sorry. It, it was a wrecked ship. Okay. All right. If, if that means anything, it was sort of out behind. It's been a while. It's it's been a few years, but it was it was out behind some building. There was a, a sort of derelict sunken ship you could walk out onto, and one of the most diabolical puzzles puzzles in the game that I'm aware of was was on that ship, and and, and I have it as a T-shirt. That's a that's a cool thing to have as a shirt. I I, I have had at least one reaction of like, oh my god, <laughs> it's that, you know, you asshole. It's it, it's it's like it's it, it it's PTSD on a shirt. Yes. <laughs> yeah 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 it's not me cold for like a good year and a half i remember seeing somebody at comic-con with a tattoo of the the sigil is is on the shadow the colossi and shadow of the colossus that represents mm. their weak points oh nice and, which <laughs> seems like cool. just an, just asking for people to punch you or stab, stab you there you. <laughs> <laughs> but the people who do stab you like you know they're, they're your people those are the cool guys yeah those yeah. are the cool kids like yeah, I feel like the best shirts are sort of they're 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 kind of a dog whistle that way. Like if you get this, come talk to me about it. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I owned way more of those shirts than overt joke shirts. But nobody ever talked to me because like a just a um a facial expression that was very much like don't talk to me, like the opposite. <laughs> hmm. You know what? So there's there's a shirt that I have that I got um uh back when I was at Sony. I uh. I, I visited the, the the Bungie for a day and uh, to work with the Destiny team, and I never made it past the lobby because they're very secretive people. <laughs> but they they gave me a bunch of T-shirts uh, as as swag for 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 Destiny, which was not out yet. And so for a while, I, I had these shirts that were just like random Destiny clans for a game that didn't exist yet. So the the shirt had the uh, the, the the Future War Cult logo, and. That shirt, more than every other item of my wardrobe, like combined ever, has drawn more attention and comments from random passersby on the street than I ever would have expected. Like, for some reason, people love the the future war cult shirt. And and it, it's just a random abstract graphic logo. There's nothing about it. It is not a particularly cool shirt, objectively, but people on the street will stop me and be like, hey, nice shirt. Or, or the, the the person behind the coffee counter will be like, "Oh, future work hole," and and, and <laughs> they 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 know it, they get it, and they want to talk to me about it, and more so than anything else I own. That's that's the one. So if if, if you want to overcome that that aura of "don't talk to me," wear a future work hole. Apparently, shirt. that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Apparently, that's the that's the lo- the ur logo. Except I don't want people to talk to me about Destiny because I don't know anything that's about true. it. I wouldn't be able yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask that. Are you a big Destiny fan, or did, uh, did, you, you know, did you find yourself becoming one because of this shirt attention? You know, you're like, <laughs> oh man, I really got to get into this direct action. Uh, I, I I played a bunch of it. I played, I, I, you know, I, I played the alpha, and that was pretty cool because the 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 the, the Destiny like pre-release alpha on the PS4 they they called the application like music player test. So that if you saw your friend playing music player test, you wouldn't know they were playing the Destiny Alpha, but but they were, <laughs> and so th- that that was pretty cool. Um, but I I did play a bunch of Destiny, a bunch of Destiny two, and and um, I I I hit the point where it was feeling very much like a grind, and I I set myself a challenge. Like by the end of October, I'm going to get whatever stupid October title you can only get in October, and I I I, I just played the game for hours and hours and hours to get this one thing that I had told myself I would get and I did it and I have quit the game and uninstalled it and never played it since <laughs> I, I successfully yeah. burned myself out on the game good good for you I was just wondering if the destiny shirt had the same effect as like band <laughs> shirts do right you're wearing a band shirt you go to a show somebody will be like oh the Ramones? Do you do you even know any of their songs, right? Like, and then you're like, you're like oh man, uh, I don't know if I should be wearing this, right? Or, or you you lean into the lifestyle because of the the, the branding or whatever. Yeah, That's a good question. I I, I think I, I could probably defend my Destiny cred. In high school, I had a shirt 
of the the Flash, the comic book character The Flash. And I don't know how I got this shirt because I never read The Flash, but people kept trying to <laughs> engage me in conversation about comics and The Flash, and they kept being disappointed. I disappointed so many people in high school. <laughs> Would people would people approach you and ask you like really specific like, uh, hey, do you remember an issue three seventy five like that kind of, that level? What kind of level are we? Talking uh, about? Well, more like, oh, you you like the you like the comic books, huh? You should come join our comic book club, and I would be like, uh, um, sorry, <laughs> no, not really. I just like lightning bolts. <laughs> the 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 teacher of like this computer science class at the school I was going to at the time like was a was like an indie comic book author, which was, you know, looking back on it, that's pretty neat, but I didn't give a shit at the time. You could just stop wearing the shirt. Like, what what kept you wearing it? Because it was in the drawer and I, I think I eventually learned to, but yeah, a lot <laughs> of it was just like lack of self-awareness and, and not having done laundry recently. <laughs> I think my, my own kids are getting to the point where the, the, the clothes we have bought for them, you know, they, they may not care about the, the, the tech company logo. That is on the shirt that I was able to get. For yeah. They don't wear that one anymore. They, 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 want, they want their warrior cat shirt instead. Friggin' Tesla babies. Are, are we ready for another topic? Yes, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Court, your topic is, is it unambiguously good that technology makes creative expression easier? Yeah, geez, this is a big one. Um, okay, so so I guess uh, the, the, the mission statement of my employer, uh, who, who shall remain nameless, is that, is that more creators do make a better world. And, and, and to be clear, I, I don't fundamentally disagree, um, but but nor does it seem unconditionally true. Uh, so I guess my, my general question is, like, technology makes it much easier to create and share things. Uh, like, once upon a time, you, you, you couldn't publish a book or record a song or shoot a film or make a game or paint a picture without a substantial investment of effort and equipment and, and, and the right connections uh, and everything lining up properly. And now, for the most part, any of those things are available to anybody, to nearly anybody who, who, who cares enough to do so. So, so like, wh where is the line between that being a good thing and a not good thing? Well, obviously, the line is, like, as soon as I'm able to make a game to my own satisfaction, that's where we should stop. Well, but, like, e e even even at that point, like, gosh, like, so, 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 so when, I, when I joined the game industry, it, it was very much like, oh, you want to make a game? Like, like, do you work for EA or, or Activision or Sony or Nintendo or Sega? Or, or, or are you some like PC weirdo who's invested years of work in your own engine uh, or, or, or paid the buku bucks to license Quake or Unreal? And if not, like, sorry, I guess I guess you're not doing that thing. You're, you're, you're SOL. Um, there, there's, there, there was literally no path to, to, do, to do that thing at the time. And, and, yeah, and, I and remember that. We, 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 yeah. And, 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 and all of us junior engineers with stars in our eyes would be like having passionate late night conversations about like, well, there needs to be a path for independent developers to build games and, and bring them to the market outside of the AAA model. And, and then like in, in what feels like a very short amount of time, it happens. Like XNA was there and, and the App Store was there and Steam was there. And there was like in, in like 2004, there was a, the game Thief 3, there was this incidental dialogue between two people, like two dock workers. One of them was complaining, like, uh, the people at that company, they're looking for experienced fellas, but how are you supposed to get the experience if nobody will hire you? <laughs> and I really think that was, like, that's about trying to get your first job in games. Yep. Very much so. Yep. We don't want you unless you have five years of experience. And where do you get it? You yeah. yeah. There, there, there is at, just at no the, path. I think, I really do think, like, the early aughts was, like, the hardest time to try to get your first job in games. I think it was much easier like five years earlier and much easier five years later. But 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 then suddenly you could, and then there were there there were these these marketplaces. There were there were tools. There was Flash. There was RPG Maker. There was Unity. Like suddenly suddenly the tools were in reach, and 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 you could suddenly do the thing, and that's great. Yeah. And and and, and I, I you know I, I want like to, like to be clear, like gatekeeping bad. I am I am not in favor of restricting creativity to a chosen few because. Because that chosen few inevitably seems to become a bunch of like rich white dudes having a confirmation bias party. But like, it, it, like, yeah. On one hand, it, it's great that like you, the individual, can do the thing. On the other hand, so can everybody else. Yeah, and yeah. and that that leads to its own problems, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, to your point about you know homogenizing it a bunch of, amongst a bunch of rich white dudes, right? When you expand the 
availability of creative tools, you expand the overall creative landscape and the kind of works that are going to be produced. Um, so for me, I think that's an overall good thing. Yes. Uh, it brings new ideas, new thoughts into the creative lexicon. Um, and yeah, decentralizes creative resource, I guess. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, in many ways do very much look forward to the future where it's basically impossible to make a living making games. And so <laughs> it becomes more of like, these are, this is a bunch of like beat poets gathering on itch.io playing each other's <laughs> games and that's it. Yeah. That's what game development and game playing it becomes. Like that sounds nice. That sounds yeah. very cozy to me. Uh, to speak to the, the actual, like literal question that's asked, it's, I'm having a really hard time coming up with any good that isn't like a unambiguous good. Like it's, it, you can always come up with, a downside even if it's even if it's obviously over outweighed by the good done by the good yeah yeah it, it, it's hard it, it, it's nuanced and it depends on who you're who, who you're talking about like well because because at some point it becomes a free speech right like if you empower unlimited creativity you empower you know negative toxic voices as much as constructive yeah i, I didn't even consider that one i mean it's just just like the the, the problem becoming not there is no path for me to do this thing, but discoverability and like race to the bottom pricing because now I'm I'm competing against the the, the millions of other people who can do what I'm doing as easily as I can. And uh, I'm I'm curious what what the end game looks like. Is there is there an equilibrium where everybody who wants to have a creative voice can have one, but people who but people who want to make a sustainable living out of it can do so, or or do we reach a point where like anybody can just feed AI prompts? For whatever they want to experience, and like boom, suddenly that exists with, with with no human intervention, and we're all out of a job. Is that better? Yeah, who needs a job when you have AIs making games for you? That can be your that can be your work I now. That's true. <laughs> playing these games. Well, that's that's so that's really the the idea with that market saturation and the race to the bottom, where there's just a flood of creative art. Then you build another layer on top of that market. It's a, it becomes the curation market, mm. right? So like, yeah, you you need a secondary level to s filter through the fire. Then hose. the AI starts getting better than humans at curation too. Yeah, that's that's true as well. <laughs> so what is what is the recursive evolution <laughs> here? Then uh, where, where does all this go? Or, or or the curation developed its own biases and and suddenly you're right back to people who don't meet the the curator's criteria don't don't effectively don't have a voice anymore. That, that, that's no good either. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. We don't need any more entertainment because we already have the nineteen ninety one Super Mario Brothers movie <laughs> which we can just watch on loop for eternity and always and make a podcast about it. And always be finding all the beautiful new nuances of each and every scene and shot in that movie. I mean, I I, I see the segue you're going for here, and I'll run with it. Like I, I I know you've been playing a bunch of old Mario games, Jim. Uh, I, I was actually trying to segue into ending the show. Okay, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about vinyl for a long time. <laughs> As as we as we ride off into the sunset to watch the yes. let me ask yeah. has anyone has anyone seen the 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 new Mario movie trailer yet? I have not. I watched it. It's okay. fine. The the okay. most with all the build up of like Chris Pratt doing the Mario voice like that that seems like I I found myself falling into this as well. People care a lot about that about like can he do a good job doing the Mario voice and like. Chris Pratt was saying, like, I think I worked together with a team at Illumination, and I think we came on a voice that's not like anything you've heard in the Mario universe, and I think it works really well. And, you know, like, all these opinions flying around and, like, all the, the like, statements, official statements about the – about this voice and, like, the, the meme that came out of Shigeru Miyamoto saying that he's so – he's so cool about Chris Pratt. Like – just and you watch the trailer and it's just chris pratt talking like chris pratt that's the mario voice <laughs> it's just he's using his own voice it's very funny uh that's very funny to me it, it looks fine like the art style is pretty good i think it's totally like 
Chris Pratt, you know, Mario, you can't have the the Charles Martinet voice voice an entire movie. That would be <laughs> it's true. That would be, that would be overkill. For sure. Yeah, you would you would have to have him be like a silent protagonist and only do like endless effort sounds. The 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 only other role of his I know is is in is in the movie The Game. Have you seen The Game? Yeah. Well, who does he play in The Game? He is Michael Douglas's father, who appears in some like flashback home movies oh. and jumps off a roof of their of their mansion. So he's he's that guy and Mario. Wahoo! <laughs> <laughs> and scene god what a weird connection <laughs> uh and that's all the time we have for topic lords court if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet i am uh post-goodism in most places it is spelled like postmodernism, except less modern and more good oh is that what that means yep and kev what did I? What's the question? Do you remember the question? Because I forget it. Yeah. Where, where can people find me on the internet? Thank you. Find me on Twitter at Kev Zettler's the handle. You've just been rocked by topics. <gasps> You're going to want to put some ice and pressure on that one. It's going to swell. Uh, <laughs> Keep the topics elevated above your heart. <laughs> thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a blast. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!